The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Um, after taking a, a week-long break, Last week we took a break from 1 Timothy. We're going to pick right back up where we left off. And by the way, we are nearing the end. Uh, after this week, we have two more weeks in 1 Timothy, which blows my mind. Um, also, it gives me a good time to give you a heads up on where we're going. So real quick this morning, um, we are about to start in, this sounds so crazy, the season of Advent. Like Christmas is like, there's Christmas decorations out here. It is still like 90 degrees, but there are Christmas decorations out there. Um, but as we start into Advent, we're going to start a brand new book together. And uh, we are going to start into a book that's going to take us a while to get through. And um, a book that I am confident that is going to shape us as a church. And uh, believe it or not, we have walked through all kinds of books Letters and historical letters, bigger books like Genesis, Romans, to small books like Jude and Jonah and Joel, all J's. I don't know why that's come to my mind, but um, we've walked through a lot of books, a lot of books. And we have never walked through a gospel yet. We're going to change that. So starting November 26th, as we shift into Advent, we are going to start into the book of Matthew together as a church. And I cannot wait. Matthew, if you remember, starts off with the coming of Jesus. It's a great place to be during Advent. So we're going to walk through that narrative as we, as we are in the Christmas season. But as we get out of the Christmas season and step into 2024, we are going to step into the book of Matthew. It is a bigger book. It will not be quick. Okay, I'm just going to make that. Statement up front, it will not be quick. We're going to be in this for a long time. We're going to take some breaks for like the summer and the Psalms and stuff like that. But we're going to be in this book for a long time. I charted it. I think we might get to chapter 9 by 2025. So that's just to give you a heads up of how, what I mean when I say slow. Uh, but that's okay. Um, I want to give you a heads up on one other thing. And uh, that is that as we get into Matthew, we're going to be in it for a while. Um, we have purchased this for every person in our church. Um, what this is, is the Gospel of Matthew on one side, and then a journal area so that you can walk with us as we go through this book on the other. It walks, it's the entire book of Matthew, and we have a copy for you. Um, I'm going to be giving you information about this on the weekly next week. We're going to have them available next week. But if you want to go ahead and reserve yours, um, stonebible.com slash Matthew. stonebiblechurch.com slash Matthew. It's not on the screen because I'm technically a week. I'm doing this early just to give you a heads up. But if you want to get a, a, a copy, stonebible.com slash Matthew. And we'll have, a, we'll have your copy next week where you can pick it up and walk through it. So our hope is that you'll keep it the whole time we're in this book all, you know, 15 years, no, um, that you'll keep it and, and be able to walk through it and look back on it. Um, okay. I encourage you to, if you want to go ahead and get yourself ready by reading ahead, that's allowed. All right. We'll be in Matthew starting in a couple weeks. But for today, we have a really beautiful text and um, we have a text that is a worship text. It's a praise text. 
uh, this morning. But it's also a text that has a very clear command. And so we're going to look at this. Uh, the structure of this scripture kind of leads us to a command and then calls us to worship. And, and I love, you'll, I think you'll feel that as I read it. So let me start off. Let me read it for us. And then we'll, we'll get to work. We'll pray. We'll get to work. First uh, Timothy 6, we're going to pick up in verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper, to time, at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be all honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray together. God, as we come to this text, we pray that you would speak. We pray that you would guide us as we walk through this text together and that you would direct our gaze up and help us to live this out in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I, uh, I think you probably noticed this, but as I, as I was reading this, this text is full of massive statements, like lofty statements about God. And um, it's, it's difficult with a text like this, at least it is for me. When I read these massive statements, it can be easy to gloss over them. Like... Um, just kind of, they're so big and they're so wonderful and they make kind of for this good Christianese that we can put on our walls and coffee cups. And it's easy to just gloss over some of these massive statements that this text makes and, and, and to not let them sink in and to fail to kind of sit with these really big statements about our God. And this text is full of those. And so our task this morning on the one hand will be to slow down, simply slow down and actually take these statements in as we walk through it, to unpack them. And um, another thing you probably noticed as I read this is this feels a bit worshipy. It's not a word, but you know what I mean. Worshipy. This is a worshipy text. It, it, it's um, a text that in scripture we call a doxology. And uh, what a doxology is, it, doxology just means praise, it means worship. But when you see a doxology, doxology in scripture, typically you're going to notice a little bit of a change of voice. Like, and, it, and it's gonna creep slowly into the worship territory. So you're gonna notice, you're gonna see this in several places in scripture where the biblical author will be talking about something specific to someone specific for a specific reason and then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, you just start geeking out about how good God is. I charge you with this and do this and God, you are good. Dominion, eternal glory. And it just starts like, woo, right over here. That is a doxology. And we see this all throughout scripture where you just drop into worship who God is and what he's done. Uh, the, one of the most common examples of this is actually in Jude. We read this here a lot in our church. Um, but in Jude 25, you see Jude is encouraging the church, persevere, and he's laying this out for them, and he's talking to them. And then out of nowhere, Jude just drops into full-blown worship. 
And, and he says, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You see that? It's just like, just goes off the rails in worship. That's a doxology. Um, Full-blown worship and all to God. And oftentimes you'll even see, like in this text and like in our text today, you'll see it end with amen. It cracks me up a little bit because it makes me, like the image that comes to my mind is like they just get off the rails going in worship with God and then they're like, oh, amen. Okay, now what was I saying? That's kind of what it feels like when you see these plopped into the middle of a scripture. And here we see this happening where it's just amen and then we're back. And um, as we look at our, our text today, we see this command that is given and then this beautiful doxology. So we're going to start with the command and we'll move into the doxology this morning. Um, if you notice, Paul starts with this command and he makes this command to us in the presence of two witnesses. And they're pretty big. Um, we'll notice, he says in verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So two um, witnesses, powerful witnesses. Number one is in the presence of God. This is a reference to God the Father, who Paul calls the giver of life. God the creator who created all things from nothing, spoke it into existence by his power and goodness, the one who, the psalm says, knits us all together in our mother's wombs. Creator of life. Um, the one who the psalm says, from you in Psalm 36, 9, you are the fountain of life, the giver of life. And again, this could sound like a pithy little Christian catchphrase, you know, giver of life. Sounds like a great song. Um, but it's so much more than that. It reminds us that God is sovereign over all of our life. All of it. And apart from him, there is no life. And so you may be here and you may be really stressed out right now and really overwhelmed about life and all the things going on in life and life is crazy. Listen, your God is the giver of life itself, the sovereign one over all of it. So who do you have to fear? What do you have to fear? I mean, not even death, if you think about it, can really shake the footing of a follower of Jesus. Not even death can do that. Why? Because our God is the giver of life and new life, and we have life and breath in our lungs today because of the power and the goodness of God. And because he is our God and will be our God forever. We have nothing to fear. So Paul first says, I give you this charge in the presence of God, the Father who gives all life. And then second, Paul gives us this charge in the presence of God, the Son. Um, he points us back to that moment in the Gospels when Christ was arrested and he was beaten and mocked and placed before Pontius Pilate. And um, with his very life on the line, Jesus is standing accused. And Pilate asks him, Jesus, what have you done? Like, you're here. What did you do? He just asks Jesus, um, 
What have you done to be brought here before me like a criminal? And Jesus answered, and I'm reading this out of John 18, says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been um, fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Okay, taking that in, this talk about all this kingdom, and, and when, when uh, Pilate asks, like, what'd you do? And he says, my kingdom. Okay, this kingdom language, it makes sense in verse 37 that Pilate says, whoa, 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 so you're a king? Just asks a clarifying question, good question. You're talking about this otherworldly kingdom. Does that make you this king of this new kingdom? And Jesus answered and says, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is standing here before Pontius Pilate, and he's pointing to the kingdom of God. The truth, the gospel, his kingship. And standing before Pilate, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't only make this confession with his words. He makes it with his very life as he gives his life on the cross. And, and even in that moment as he's hanging on the cross, he's hanging under a banner that says, Jesus, King of the Jews. It's mocking him. But you see him paying for this confession, making this confession with his words and his life. Jesus never wavered from the will of the Father never wavered from his mission, um, never wavered from the truth in the cross. And so Paul points to the power of God in the work of Jesus when he charges us in the presence of God in verse 13 of our text, who gives life to all things, and Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, the Father, the sovereign creator, the giver of all life, and in the presence of the Son, the sovereign king of kings, the giver of new life. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of these two witnesses. Those aren't bad witnesses, are they? I give you this charge in the presence of God the Father and God the Son. And what is the charge? Verse 14. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. First of all, what is the commandment that we're called to keep? What's the commandment that we're called to keep unstained, free from reproach? Church, the commandment is to keep this. To keep the word of God. Um, this is a reference to persevere in your life and your ministry um, that God has called you to in this. It's a charge to live in accordance with this, the word of God. Um, you don't have to turn with me here, but there's a, there's a chapter in the book of Psalms that is so long, longest in the Bible, chapter, um, chapter 119 in the book of Psalms. And all of it, 176 verses of it are dedicated to this, the goodness of the word of God. You don't need to turn with me here, but I just want you to hear some of this because we're going to come back to it. It says, bless are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Bless are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Also, who do no wrong, but walk in his ways. 
You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my, stead, my, my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having fixed my eyes on what? On all of your commandments, your word. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Later, he'll even go on to say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And, and Paul is giving us this charge here in our text to take the word of God as the word of God, to listen to it, to follow it, and to follow the heart of Christ that we're given in his word. To not stray from the left or to the right, but to walk in the word of God. And so I want to state the, the, the obvious here from this. Um, the Christian faith is not a Sunday event. And what I mean by this, I love what we get to do here. I love that we get to come around the word of God and worship and fellowship together. Um, and the church is, is definitely a part of your Christian faith, but your walk with Christ is a daily walk and a pursuit of Jesus. That you would walk in the word, to grow in Christ. Your life is where you take up your cross, not weekly, but your call in your life is to take up your cross daily. And to keep this, to walk in this, to hold to this. That's, that is your, your call. And that is your charge. And, and Paul, along with his charge to keep the word of God, gives us two clarifications. Um, and as we look at it, we're given this charge saying, keep this. And then we're given the how and the how long. So look at this. Keep the commandment how unstained and free from reproach. And how long? Until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's start with the how. How? How are you to follow Jesus? How are you to follow the word of, of Christ? Unstained and free of reproach. Okay. I don't have a sound effect, but it, like, like that record scratch would be a great thing to... I don't even know how to do it. But... <laughs> to push that right now and you hear it, right? It's a great moment for it. Why? Because you look at that and you're like, whoops, I can't do that. And if you didn't have the record scratch moment, you're lying to yourself because you can't do that. You look at this, follow the word of God, keep the commands perfectly pure, above reproach in all your ways. Anyone here able to do that? Listen, um, let me answer, no. No one is able to do that. And, and it's, it's impossible. And so here's the question I have. Is scripture calling you, commanding you to do something that is impossible for you to do? In this text, is this an impossible command? I want to answer this in two ways. Absolutely yes, and absolutely no. Let's start with a yes. This is absolutely impossible for you to do. It's an impossible command in that you cannot do this perfectly in your own power. You cannot. You cannot. You will not. Psalm 119, I read this, verse 1 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Anyone here blameless? 
The, the, the reality is, is that no one is, no fallen human is. We are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The wages of that sin is death, Romans 6.23. No one is righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.12. You in your flesh and in your own power cannot keep this command. It is impossible. But here's the thing. Praise God that you are not left to your own power. And praise God, you're not left to work your way, claw your way to God, salvation by your works. Praise God, you are not saved by your good commandment keeping. Praise God, Christ came and lived the life that we could not live. In other words, praise God that Jesus is really good at commandment keeping. Praise God for Jesus who gives his life on the cross, taking your sin on his shoulders and giving you all of his righteousness. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sins that, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like praise God for Jesus who is perfect in his commandment keeping so that now in him we are made perfect and are being made perfect day by day by day. This means that Christ was righteous for you so that now in Christ you are righteous before God. Let that just sit. Sit in that. Yes, in your power, this command that you're given here is impossible. But in Christ, through Christ, this command is ours to walk day by day, a life that is not our own. The life we live is in Christ. And so you are righteous in Christ. So walk in that. You are pure, unstained, above reproach in Christ. That is a fact about you in Jesus. So now, brothers, sisters, walk in purity. Walk in light of this. Walk in the word of God. This is your call. This is our calling to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ. That's yours. That's yours. This is your calling. This is how we are to follow Jesus. And so the next question is, well, for how long are we supposed to do that? Um, how long will this be your calling? Well, this is your calling, your path to follow this, to walk in this, to submit to this. You're to do this until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means until the day Jesus returns. Okay, I have a feeling, I don't want to offend you here, but I have a feeling that there's going to be two pendulum swings that are represented in this room. And I'm going to have you get up and no, I'm not going to do that. But I have a feeling there's two, okay? On this one hand, I have a feeling that some of you may have grown up in a tradition and uh, in a church maybe that was obsessed with the end times. Like, um, you know, rapture, Tim LaHaye left behind. We're doing it. We're all in every day. If you don't know who Tim LaHaye is, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, ask someone later, but maybe you grew up with this like insane anticipation of like, he's coming back at any moment, most likely before I get home this evening. And, um, at least by two 30, I think. And like, you're just, you, you have this anticipation. I poke fun, but I can tell you some of you know what that is like. 
And there's this anticipation. Some of it is good. We're going to get to that in a bit. But it's not good if it leads you to fear. It's not good if it leads you to make ridiculous predictions. It's not good if it leads you to neglect the life that you are given today by God to steward. It's not good. In other words, if our anticipation of Christ's return, it should not lead us to fear, and it should not lead us to be really terrible stewards of our time and moment here on this earth. We're called here by the sovereign plan of God, placed here in this life for a reason. God's the giver of this life for such a time as this, so be faithful and leave the timeline to him. That's this pendulum. But here's the thing. I have a feeling... There might be some of you who would sit on this side. I have a feeling, though, the majority of us sit on this side. Swinging the pendulum the other way, that more of us would uh, admit to, I really never think about the return of Jesus, ever. Like, I, I, the Bible talks about him coming back, but nah, I can't know it. You know, we'll, we'll worry about that when it, and here's what happens. Over here, you're living in this crippling anticipation, but over here on this pendulum swing, there is no anticipation of Christ's return. No thought. Maybe we believe it vaguely, conceptually, theologically. We believe it, but in practice and in reality, we really don't because our lives have no, it, his return have, has no bearing on our lives at all. Paul says here, I charge you to follow the commands of Christ until he comes again. Um, Church, he is coming again. He really is. And for those of you who are over here, he's coming again. He's this the same as he came as a baby in Bethlehem. He's coming again in splendor and glory as king. And this is huge because we are to live our lives. According to our text, we are to live our lives in light of Jesus coming again. Do you live your life in light of Jesus coming again? How does that fact that Jesus is coming impact your life? Maybe a better question is, will you, are you going to be like the man that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 that is completely caught off guard? Let me put this up here so you can see what I mean. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. Why? Why does it matter? Well, I want to go to Peter's words in 1 Peter. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's our hope. Jesus, our hope. And he says in verse 14, so as obedient children, do not be conformed to your passions, to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also Be holy in all of your conduct. In other words, the fact that Jesus is coming, his appearing, changes our life today. It should shape our life 
today, his coming, the anticipation of his coming should spur us on to holiness, not out of fear, but to should spur us on to Christ-likeness today. We're about to step into Advent. That's what it's all about. It's Christ came and he's coming again and this is our hope. And we follow this. Our charge is to follow this until that moment, that time that he comes. And and, and what time will that be? Is it 2.30? I'm picking on you, those over here. It says in verse 15, which he will display at the proper time. What's the proper time? The proper time is God's time. Not yours, God's. It's what Jesus says, but concerning the day, the hour, no one knows. This is Matthew 24, 36. Not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father only. In other words, this is God's timing. He's never late. He's never early. He's got this. It's God's timing. Christ is going to come again, and our call is to live our lives in light of his coming, to live our lives in this. Let's walk in this knowing one day he's coming again. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God the Father and God the Son, live your lives by this. Persevere in this until Christ returns. In his perfect timing, he is coming again. So pursue this, live by this until he returns or calls you home. That's the charge. And at this point, we're going to go from charge to doxology, from charge to worship. You're going to notice a change in a tone here. Now he says, and I'll just read it, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's unpack that. He says, to the blessed and only sovereign. Blessed and only. The word blessed here is only used for God a handful of times in the Bible. And, and what it means is, is this idea of being privileged above all others. And then if you couple that with the phrase only sovereign, that picture begins to emerge even more clearly that our God is the only sovereign, the only one, the privileged highest rank position above all others. So what Paul is saying here is that our God is privileged and ranked above all other. That means there is no one above him. There is no one beside him. All are under him. And that leads us to the next phrase, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now this is a title that has been given to God all throughout scripture. And it points to this bold reminder that there is no earthly authority We need to be reminded of this sometimes, I think. No earthly authority or any other authority whatsoever that is over our God. That means all lords, all kings. We don't have very many of those. All presidents, all officials, all whatever, bosses, whatever you got. All human authority comes under the ultimate authority of Jesus. And one day, as scripture says, we will bend our knee to Christ the King. That in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and that includes every authority that we have here on earth. And if you're in authority, that includes you. It was true back then, true today, true forever, true to the very end. It reminds me of that text in Revelation, um, Revelation 17 that says, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called his are called and chosen and faithful. 
That's an awesome text. King of kings, Lord of lords, yesterday, today, and forever. And speaking of forever, the next thing Paul says is our God is the only immortal. Um, the best way to think about this is with time. Um, you and I, all of us, everything we have in this life is bound to time. Time has its way on us. We change and we grow. I had a, uh, we had a baby girl two months ago, and that girl is different today than she was two months ago. She changes by the day. I love it. As you get older, you don't love that so much. Um, I know we don't like to think about it, but our bodies grow weary. Our minds, with time, grow weary. And if the Lord does not yet return, you and I, all of us, will face death. I don't want to discourage you today. It's a reality check. We are all bound to time. Time changes us. Time changes the world around us. Everything changes with time. Everything but our God. Uh, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same. He does not change. He's not bound by time. He's not changed by time. He does not grow weary. He does not grow tired. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I can't tell you how much hope that gives me. As fragile as I feel so, so many times, I cannot tell you how, many, how much hope and peace that gives me. And Paul says, our God is the only blessed and sovereign one, above all, king of kings, Lord of lords. He never changes. He's the immortal God, same yesterday, today, and forever. It's incredible. And it reminds me of something. It reminds me that our God is um, wholly other. What I mean when I say this is although we get to know him and be with him, I talked about coming to the tables and knowing that we, he is there and his presence is with us. And um, listen, although the, all that's true, um, we are created in the image of God. We did not create God in our image. And what that means is he is not like us. We are, um, as we come to the word of God, there are often times that we will be reminded of the great gap that exists between you and God. You're going to be reminded of this. There's a great gap. There's a great chasm that exists between the creator and the created. There's a great chasm here. And we are reminded of this. And Paul puts his finger right on it with his next statement. As he says, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, no one has ever seen or can see. I don't know about you, but I you might feel the tension of that, and I think you should. Um, we talk about a lot the nearness, the closeness of our God. We rejoice in knowing he is near and present. As I said, we pray to him. We commune with him. We know he is close and near. Um, that Christ through the spirit is present with us, and we praise God for all those things. But here's the thing. Please understand, our God is Transcendent. What that means is he is above and wholly other than us. He is perfectly holy. Our God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not. It's just one of the differences. 
But I want to point out something. Your God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means that the God that you read about in the pages of the Old Testament is the same God we worship today. And I want to remind you of one text that I think sounds so crazy foreign to us. Think back to Genesis, Moses saying, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, see up to this point, we're like, yeah, got this. But, but you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. We read that and we're like, what? Like, that's the power and the holiness of God. We can't even look at him. He's too great. And in the Old Testament, the Old Testament people would have temples and, and holy of holies and high priests who would have this buffer zone between them and the transcendent God of the universe. There was a buffer zone. And they didn't play with that buffer zone. It's dangerous. Because he is holy. And there's this necessary distinction and that's what Paul is pointing to. He says, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Here's the thing. That is still true. That's still true. This is still the God we serve. And yet in Colossians 1.15, we read about the work and power of Jesus Christ, who we read is the image of the invisible God. When we understand he's transcendent, then the power of Jesus just gets all the greater because we see Christ and we see the face of God. That's the power and wonder of Jesus. My fear, though, is you are spoiled. My fear is that that sounds too mundane to you. Like the fact that you can go to the Lord in prayer and he meets us and his presence is with us. The fact that that doesn't blow us away tells me you are spoiled rotten. Don't get used to this. Our God is transcendent. We can start to take it for granted because we get too familiar. But the grace of God through the work of power of Christ, we can now draw near in confidence. We praise God for that. But please understand the holiness and holy otherness of God has not changed. He's the same as he was in the Old Testament. In other words, our God hasn't gotten less holy. It's just that now Christ has just met all of the holy requirements perfectly and completely. So that now in Christ, you can know the nearest, nearness of God in communion with him. And so please know, God's holy, perfect, and just as Moses in Genesis, our God dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen him or can see him. This is our God. And so if we put all of this together... Let's put it all together so we can walk in clarity. I want to read the whole text. Just as we walk through, we have the command in the doxology. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives all things. The presence of Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and the only sovereign the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He alone has immortality. He who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is Paul's charge to you and me.
to keep this, to hold to this, to trust this, and to walk in this. And to press on and don't stop, don't quit, persevere until the day when Christ returns. Until that day, we press on and we persevere to the, tr- the finish line. We walk in this until the finish line. And while we're pursuing this, we do this knowing who our God is, that he is holy and transcendent and perfect and never changing and above all and sovereign over all. We do this knowing he is the king of all kings and Lord of lords, all authority is in him. And so to, to sum all this up, here's how we're going to bring it together. God is sovereign, and one day in his perfect timing, Jesus is coming again. And here today in this time, your charge in the meantime, until that happens, is to keep the word of God and to persevere and to trust the power and plan of God until that day, that moment when you see him again face to face. That's our charge today. We've been given this charge, and I want to put one more scripture up here today, and that is Philippians 3. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Oh, I love that. That's so cool, but I have to move on. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this is our call. This is our charge this morning. Keep his word. Trust his power and plan and keep your eyes on the finish line. Knowing that one day Christ is coming again. And so I'll end with Paul's words, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen.